Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust joined this week by Mike and Mike. No, not Greenberg and Golick. We've got Mike Krevchenko and a first-timer on Conduct Detrimental, Mike Scott. What's up, gentlemen? What's going on? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. So, um, Mike Scott, I, I feel like we could have called you Michael Scott, but that would have confused people. See, like, if you say it just like Mike Scott, no one says anything. Just like if you say Dan Lust quick enough, no one thinks that my last name is like a uh, somewhat inappropriate to say out loud. But, you know, <laughs> here, here we are. Um, we're in the same world. But uh, Mike, uh, Mike Scott, happy to have you on. And Mike uh, Krepchenko, you're back after a week in which you uh, mysteriously had some fake illness when I uh, was had the right an obligation to call you out for call, calling out my bad pick, which was a winning pick. Uh, so I don't think I forget. Uh, what was it? The Browns I picked and you said it was a, a, a loser and you're like, I'm not even going to spend time talking about it. Is I'm that, glad, is that what happened? Yeah. I'm glad that you hopped on a quick here because I mean, that was just disrespectful. I, I have to apologize. I mean, for someone to be doing as bad as I am <laughs> and calling you out. Uh, but you know, miracles do happen in it's- football. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. It's like, you know, I, I tell younger associates in the firm, it doesn't matter what happened. Just tell just tell us what happened and it'll all be good. It'll all be fine. So uh, for those that don't recall, I was not on the podcast two weeks ago and I, I let Mike K run the ship. You know, he's been doing it long enough. And he goes, yeah, Dan picked the Browns. They're going to lose. So uh, anyway, moving on. And obviously they win. Mike K's pick loses, but we live and we learn. Okay. Um, we, uh, Mike Scott is on to talk about a special program we have, um, with the SLA. So, uh, before we get into that, um, we want to lay out the roadmap here. Um, Sports Illustrated's, uh, artificial intelligence saga and a little bit of journalistic ethics and talk about ethics. We're obviously talking about some lawyers. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the Corey Perry, Chicago Blackhawks saga. I don't know if it's a saga, maybe just one and done and we're out, but uh, certainly talk about that. An interesting real estate suit that uh, for some reason I didn't know about, but popped up on my Instagram uh, algorithm, uh, this SGA uh, real estate lawsuit that's Oklahoma City uh, star guard, probably like a top 10 player in the league at this point. I don't think that's anything so crazy. Um, this viral video uh, of um, like during a Cavs game where Drew Smith kind of like fell through the floor. Uh, we'll talk about that in less, but at least we're going to talk about uh, what I'll call FSU uh, field cutting incident. Um, but uh, police got involved. Um, I'm not going to pretend it's a big issue, but I did not know about this tradition at FSU. And, and certainly, uh, I think the police were probably right to get involved. Okay. That said, that's our roadmap for today. Mike Scott, you are our special guest. Um, for those that don't know you, why don't you give a little bit of a brief background uh, into who you are, and then we can kind of talk about why you are on with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Dan. I uh, really appreciate the intro. Um, for those who don't know, I guess Dan and I go way back at this point. I think we probably, correct me if I'm wrong, probably connected um, somewhere around 2019 or so. Um, I think it was right around the time before you became famous and a worldwide uh, sports law celebrity. Right around the time. Oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to fit that in there. Um, I think it was right around the time Kevin Durant joined the Nets, maybe. Or maybe it was the, the summer right before we were still playing for the Suns. You and I connected um, and talked about you know different ways I could break into sports law. And um, I saw you were writing articles at the time about KD and a bunch of other things. And um, you know, I think our relationship kind of grew from there. And um, to you know, fast forward a little bit, it ended up with, um, for me, an internship at the Washington Nationals. Um, and then three years with the club as in-house counsel. Um, so I moved down to D.C. from New York for about three years and um, did all sorts of fun things for the Nationals on both the baseball and business operations side of the organization. 
but very recently I uh, found myself coming back to New York, um, now working with New York City's uh, marketing and tourism department, doing a bunch of different things to help bring visitors into New York City. And uh, one of those minor uh, or maybe major events in our world that um, you know I, I came here to talk about today is uh, Sports Lawyers Association. So um, Dan and I, um, as well as some other people, have sort of joined forces to uh, help put on sports lawyers events here in New York City. So whether that be happy hours or panel discussions um, or different conferences or things like that, I think, you know, Dan and I are kind of um, looking to, you know, at this point are going to team up to um, sort of bring some fun events to the area. And that first event is going to uh, take place uh, on Tuesday, December 19th at 7 p.m. We're going to be hosting a sports lawyers happy hour at a bar called Mason Jar in New York City. It's on, I believe, 30th and Park Avenue. Um, so we're hoping to get as many people out there um, as possible. I believe there's a Rangers game on that night, and I think they're playing the Maple Leafs. Um, so again, that's Tuesday, December 19th at 7 p.m. I uh, hope everyone can join us for a Sports Lawyers Association happy hour event um, at a bar called Mason Jar, uh, New York City. We'll, we'll probably put we'll probably put some details of the Eventbrite in the show description. And Mike K, can I sign you up to do a fancy graphic for us? Oh, of course. You're very good at graphics. Yeah, You're very always. good at graphics. Thank you. Okay. Um, so Mike, Scott, you, I'm sure you know about this and those that are diehards of the podcast. And I, and I will say this too. Uh, first of all, Mike, you like zoom through your background, which, uh, you know, we should take some time to talk about, but, um, it's this time of the year where we're getting like the Spotify wrapped people and they're like, Oh, conduct detrimental made it into my top five. And, you know, last week, uh, I was talking, I said, we have people around the world that listen to this podcast. And, um, I'll give a quick shout to uh, David Estes, one of our listeners uh, who messaged me on Twitter. Uh, he's a, uh, I'm probably going to botch the title, but I think he's a JAG lawyer. And uh, he literally is across the world listening to this podcast. And so he wanted me to, uh, wanted to let me know that. And he didn't know I was going to say this in the podcast, but shout out to Dave Estes. So the reason I bring it up, uh, Mike Scott, I've t- spoke about you on the podcast before. Uh, I've spoke about you on a lot of panels that I do around the country, but I don't really say your name. Um, you've not, you've never told me not to say it, but I, I think it's more fun just to keep you as a mystery man. Um, the truth is Mike, you are, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's a conduct detrimental success story, but just a general success story, you know, like, I don't know, we do a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, we post, uh, different stuff on LinkedIn and, and whatnot. And you know, we have the podcast out here. Um, but Mike, you reached out to me as a, and this part you left out, which I think is important as a practicing lawyer in the employment space. Uh, and you just said how, how do I, you know, get closer to sports? And I said, just maybe you should write. And uh, I didn't didn't really say anything so monumental, but we spoke. And you know, obviously, um, something something clicked because after that, you were writing for Complex and for Fangraphs. And then, you know, after a while, you ended up with that. Uh, you call it an internship with the Washington Nationals, but you have to understand what a chance that you you bet on yourself. You had a full time empl- job as a plaintiff's employment lawyer. And you took three steps back to take an internship in Washington, D.C. And fortunately, Mike, it all worked out. But like that was a huge risk uh, on yourself. And, you know, now it's four years later, like this thing paid off. You're back in New York and you're you're that much better off having had that experience with the Nats. So um, power to you. So if anybody wants Mike's full story, Mike's an open book. You can reach out to Mike um, on Twitter. No, not Twitter. LinkedIn's more appropriate, right? LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn's the best. Um, Okay. Um, Mike K., you're going to be at the event. I'm going to be at the event. Um, It should be a fun event. We have not posted about it publicly, so 
Um, I wanted our podcast listeners to be the first ones to have a shot at it. Mike, is there a cap or would anybody could come? No, anyone can come. Only thing um, is that we're going to put the link out, but please make sure you RSVP for the event. It is a requirement. Um, you cannot come to the event unless you RSVP because we need a pretty accurate head count. Yeah. Um, we're going to kick you out. Yeah. We're going to kick you out if you don't RSVP. Exactly. We did, Better RSVP. We did hire security for it. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, please make sure you RSVP. To the, um, and then we can uh, put that link out right after the podcast too. Okay. And um, no guarantees, but we we are working on sponsorship. We'll see if it comes in, into fruition uh, by the 19th. It should. It should. Okay. Business is done. It is time to get into the topics. Okay. Mike K, you ready? I see your game face. You ready to go? Okay. Okay. Um, let's do this. This is a story, uh, you know, very seldom. Uh, do I, I see a story that like we've never encountered before? I don't know how exactly to phrase it. So um, I don't really know how quite to, <laughs> where to start this, but uh, let's just dive right into it. A website called Futurism had an article uh, that allegedly, uh, I don't want to say alleged, but it seems like it was, uh, oh, we'll keep it as allegedly. Sports Illustrated was allegedly writing articles on their site uh, and they were attributing those articles to uh, certain people, uh, Drew Ortiz, uh, Mike K. What was the name you told me? What was it, Sonia? <laughs> Sora Tanaka. Sora Tanaka. You know, and you go to their profiles and it had, uh, you know, some nice little things. So this is Drew Ortiz's profile. Got a nice pretty picture up here. Drew Ortiz's email is Ortiz Drew Sir Reviews at Gmail. Drew likes to say that he grew up in the wild, which is particularly true. He grew up in a farmhouse surrounded by woods, fields, and a creek. Drew has spent much of his life outdoors and is excited to guide you through his never-ending list of the best products to keep you from falling to the perils of nature. Nowadays, there is rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back on his parents' farm. So this is um, on Sports Illustrated website. It's a feature called Sports Illustrated Reviews. Drew Ortiz looks like a, a very handsome, dapper gentleman. Uh, his bio sounds lovely. Sounds like a nice outdoorsman. Um, there's probably uh, half the people listening to this podcast saying, like, what is Dan talking about now, right now? Why is he reading the Drew Ortiz review? Um, it's because Drew Ortiz does not exist. He is a fake person. Okay, get this straight. Um, according to Futurism's article, um, these are fake AI-generated names, peoples. They do not exist outside of this profile. And to make matters worse... Uh, the Drew Ortiz picture was taken from a website that is, uh, I guess, a created avatar website where you could literally purchase someone's fake picture. So it's like a stock photo. So by all accounts, Drew Ortiz does not exist. And the articles he, were, he was writing seeming to appear to be written uh, with artificial intelligence. Um, so Sports Illustrated, the once famous uh, sports content or sports journalistic website, um, you know, uh, I think there's been a round of layoffs at Sports Illustrated, you know, not, not breaking news to anybody. Um, and now they have uh, artificial intelligence seemingly writing these articles. So journalistic integrity, I'll bring up in a minute what the Sports Illustrated union had to say on the matter. But I'll open this up to the floor. Krevchenko, Scott, uh, who's, who wants to take this one first? You know, okay. Okay, so when we when we when we edit it. Just Mike, just yeah. start talking here. Mike Scott. 
Yeah, sure. So I think, um, Dan, you know, like you said, one of the things that this issue really you know, brings up is where are the ethics um, for Sports Illustrated and sort of putting this information out there um, and for leading people of the public to believe that these are, you know, sort of real human beings doing these reviews and like writing this this content themselves. Um, I think that like this is a trend that's going to, you know, either start to pick up more and more in written media or it's something that um, companies and journalists and other media, you know, companies have already been doing for quite some time. Um, and we're just not aware of it yet. Um, we're going to you know, find that out as, as time goes on. Um, but I certainly think, you know, think that it really raises some, um, you know, pretty big ethical issues. And I understand these are only product reviews, but, um, you know, to a certain extent, and maybe these are like really small scale and we're not talking about, um, you know, a thousand dollar TV or something like that, but people do rely, I would imagine on these reviews to some extent. Um, and why would Sports Illustrated, you know, sort of invest the money and the time into um, coming up with these AI reviews if no one was looking at them? So you'd have to imagine they're getting some clicks, although I can't imagine too many. Um, but it certainly really raises yeah. some interesting ethical issues. See, I don't I don't have a problem with product reviews. Um, I have a problem with product reviews that are written like an alien wrote them. Um, so let's just and, and I guess from a journalistic perspective, from just like a branding perspective, this makes Sports Illustrated look look really bad. I mean, so this is what, you know, and obviously Sports Illustrated, I used to have them. I used to get, you know, the subscriptions. I used to get SI for kids and Mike Scott, you're, you're around my age. You used to take out those trading cards from uh, yep. from Sports Illustrated for kids. They have like they have the folio, those nine, you know, the nine cutout cards. Um, this is the article that Drew Ortiz, one of the articles that Drew Ortiz is attributed with. It says, play like a pro with the best full-size volleyballs. Um, I'm just going to pick my spots here. So it says, uh, there's a reason why it's been, uh, they're talking about volleyball. There's a reason why volleyball has been such a mainstay in modern sports to this day. Volleyball can be a little tricky to get into, especially without an actual ball to practice with. Uh, you'll have to drill the, in the fundamentals in your head before you can really play the game the way it's meant to be played. Um, so people are reading this and like, who is playing volleyball without an actual ball? <laughs> that sounds insane. That sounds like something a computer would write because probably a computer did write this. So it really makes the the branding of Sports Illustrated look bad. So that's, that's I guess, number one. Uh, the Sports Illustrated Union, um, which has their own Twitter account, um, essentially called them out and says that, you know, what's described in this futurism story does not represent the hardworking journalists who make up SI Union for nearly 70 years. SI staff members have held themselves to the highest possible ethical standards. As a member of the SI Union, we are proud to be part of that legacy and work every day to protect it. We expect management to do the same. The humans of the SI Union. Okay. And to add one little fun fact, and then Mike K, I'll give it to you. Um, Sports Illustrated, the actual verified account of Sports Illustrated wants to weigh in as well. So they gave their response. Sports Illustrated's verified account has 1.8 million followers. This is pretty damaging to the brand, right? Um... Uh, people can find this. I tweeted it out if people want to see the full statement. Um, essentially, their argument is that uh, they used a third-party company called uh, Advan Commerce, and a number of Advan's e-commerce articles ran on certain arena websites. The problem is that Drew Ortiz has a web has a profile on Sports Illustrated, so I'm not really sure you can blame it on a third party. Um, anyway, they go to blame it on this third party, and they say. You know, we're removing the content. We figured this out and we're, we're con continuing to conduct an internal investigation. So they blame this entire thing. And also, mind you, this, I guess we left this out. Um, Futurism reached out to Sports Illustrated during their initial, you know, right before they read the story. And they reached out to Sports Illustrated for co for a comment. And Sports Illustrated deleted all of the profiles. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, 
<laughs> I don't really know quite what to say. Sports Illustrated, they write this long, uh, you know, this long public statement, and they're trying to say, yeah, this is all a big misunderstanding. And they sign this, quote, the spokesperson for the arena group. They can't even sign it with the human name. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. But, Mike K., I'll give it to you for your thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, AI, listen, I use AI on a normal basis. Uh, everyone, I think, should going forward. It's a very useful tool. But uh, like Mike Scott was saying, I mean, it's just the ethics behind it. In terms of, I think the biggest issue here isn't so much that AI is writing articles. It's just also like the disclosure of it. Because there are, are multiple, I mean, reputable websites and the Associated Press, CNET, I mean, BuzzFeed's less so. But I mean, the Associated Press has used AI and it's like, they at least disclose that AI, either the images are generated by AI, uh, certain um, sections of the article is generated by AI. Disclosure is the big thing here, uh, in my opinion. And going forward, I mean, it's like you said, Mike Scott, I mean, this is a broad, a broad, I mean, thing going on. This is beyond just Sports Illustrated, but obviously the ethics behind the entire, um, I mean, reporting world right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think another, you know, thing to kind of take into, into consideration too is, you know, like for me, I'm, I'm an in-house lawyer, right? Like I think just as much about the business as I do um, the legal side of things. I mean, what's really the, the payoff here for Sports Illustrated? You know, you would think that publishing more content, publishing more articles potentially leads to more ad revenue. Um, you know, maybe there's sort of brand deal, right? If they're like reviewing a volleyball you know, for example, or maybe like Wilson sends them, you know, would want to send them a volleyball for review, but what's the sort of payoff of um, an AI generated bot giving a, a review of that product? You would want, you know, as a brand partner, you would want your product in the in the hands of human beings. So I just don't quite understand, you know, sort of from a business perspective, why, you know, Sports Illustrated, if they did actually do this and, you know, sort of that's proven through the investigation, why they would take that route. It doesn't really seem to add any value to their business, any value to the readers, um, and ultimately just seems like a net negative for them overall. I mean, like Dan said, the the layoffs happened. And then you got to think that they're saving a significant amount of money, though. Like a lot of the AI stuff, I mean, you could get subscriptions and just the AI, like you said, just pump out a bunch of articles. I mean, there might be saving on salaries and benefits and other things amongst that. So I'm curious. Expensive like, things. Yeah, Expensive like things. the that aspect of it. But then you know, this situation might happen and clear all that out. So, well, I hope it's worth it for a volleyball review. Um, I've never, <laughs> I've never bought a, a volleyball off of a, a website, you know, from someone's random product review, especially that looks like it was written by AI, you know, and, and, you know, we were talking about it in the chat here, you know, other sites use AI. I also have no problem with sports illustrated using AI for some stuff and writing, you know, that was written by sports illustrated staff or, or having a human being edit it. But my, I guess, you know, Mike, to your comment, Mike K, like for a product review, you can't have it written by like anonymous staff. It probably should be written by a human. So someone must have done the market research somewhere and, and said that product reviews in, in terms of buying products with like affiliate links, they're better when a human being's attached to it. Also, I will say, um, just, I don't, I don't know why I get the stuff fed to me in the algorithm, but like on, on Instagram, it's like, you know, people are like, you know those crazy TikToks when they're like pointing to different things, like they're a clock that's like step one, do this; step one, do that. A, a lot of them are like, make like use AI to generate content for you while you sleep, and use AI to generate like email marketing campaigns. So 
there are content creators that like are on TikTok or on Instagram and you think that they're real and you think that they're promoting some product, but they're not real. They're like artificial intelligence. So like this stuff's happening more than I think a lot of people realize. Um, but we are just getting off of a, a writer strike in Hollywood with this AI in terms of writing scripts and, and writing shows was really front and center. Uh, and writing in the sports journalism world has never not really reached this peak with artificial intelligence. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. You know, I, I think this is one of these topics. It's, it's interesting. Ethically, it's quasi legal. Um, but we're not going to hear the end of this artificial intelligence in sports. This is just kind of an odd situation as it came up. Um, Okay, I think we can wrap that one up. Let us move over to the ice. Uh, Corey Perry, Chicago Blackhawks, and rumors swirling. Uh, Mike Krevchenko, can you break down uh, what is going down uh, in Chicago uh, with one Corey Perry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Corey Perry's a big name. I mean, he's what Stanley Cup champion. I mean, longtime NHL I mean, some would say a very good player, Hall of Very Good, maybe. Um, you know, so this is a, a huge deal that came across my feet and immediately uh, had to send it to you of what you know what we were doing topics uh, for today. So his contract is currently uh, in the process of being terminated. I'll kind of go through the quick timeline here because it is it's just happened in this past week. Uh, so initially on November twenty first, he was involved in this alleged incident. Uh, we still don't know exactly what the incident is. Uh, there were many rumors on Twitter um, of what this actually was that uh, the GM Kyle Davidson had to shut down uh, recently. But uh, so, I mean, Corey Perry was in unexpectedly. Uh, he was a healthy scratch on the day after the incident. Well, uh, Mike, can can I have you uh, just say what your favorite rumor was? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Allegedly. What was your yeah. favorite rumor, a favorite alleged rumor as to what it was? Um, it had to, that's the reason we're covering the story, yeah, Mike, just so you're of aware. Course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, Connor Bedard. I, I feel, I feel terrible for him and his family right now because it had to do with the rumor mill of, um, Corey Perry having an incident with, um, Connor Bedard, future great. Having um, an, having great. an incident, like a slip and fall incident. Um, some, some relations, uh, with, ah, okay, <laughs> with Corey okay. Perry's mom, um, you know, I just is that verified? Is the has the has the relationship been verified? Is it like a Scotty Pippen uh, oh, no. type? Oh, sorry, what is it? Larza Pippen and uh, what's Jordan's son's name? Marcus. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. No. So is is this has that has that been confirmed? Is that a confirmed relationship? No, this is not at all what the situation actually is. So, um, okay. Although that is what got everything exploding yesterday on Twitter uh, in the last 48 hours, really. Uh, no, uh, that is not what it is. Uh, the general manager, Kyle Davidson, made that very clear uh, that their contract termination process that started yesterday uh, and that he cleared waivers today, uh, you know, he actually had the contract terminated today, uh, had nothing to do with any players on the team or any staff on the team. Um, it apparently uh, has to do with an incident involved with alcohol uh, that's allegedly from the GM press conference. Um, and it was a team organized event in Nashville. And it was on November 17th. That actually is when allegedly the situation occurred. Um, you know, alcohol involvement obviously is a serious matter. Uh, they said it's non-criminal, which is a huge thing, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of his teammates were coming out and support of just, you know, he's a great guy. We love him. Um, you know, 
the team doesn't, you know, they seem pretty heartbroken by it. Um, you know, as a coaching, the coaching staff, the players. So, um, it'll be interesting kind of how they go about this. Um, obviously the NHL and NHLPA are involved and they're, uh, you know, investigating it right now. Uh, players, I mean, everyone's pretty much unaware of it. So that's why, uh, it came as such a surprise. Um, and Larry Brooks of the New York post, I do want to make a point of this, uh, with the NHL, uh, once the actual contract is terminated, which is today. Um, so they're reviewing the NHLPA is reviewing it. The union has 60 days to file a grievance, uh, following the termination. So, I guess, you know, I mean, the next 60 days is going to be interesting of the investigation. We're going to hear probably a lot more come out. Um, I, I hope, you know, for the sake of everyone involved, Corey Perry, that there's no more crazy rumors. Uh, I hope that Kyle Davidson shut those down today. Because um, obviously, like I said, I mean, Corey Perry is no random fourth liner. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, Mike Scott. I know we were talking about um, being a big hockey fan. So, uh, kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the thing that was really interesting to me after um, hearing the GM's speech um, this week was he said that, um, and it, I guess in particular speaking on behalf of Blackhawks, said that whatever the incident was, it was a, quote, team incident, end quote, team decision to ultimately, you know, uh, terminate his contract. Um, normally, I, I feel like that's not always the way it works. Usually when a player is involved in some sort of conduct that potentially – no pun intended, conduct detrimental to the team, um, you know, that could, that could potentially violate his player's contract. You know, usually the league gets involved, no matter what sport it is, in some way, shape, or form, the league runs an investigation. Um, the club runs an investigation. Having been on the club side of this, I, I, I think at least, you know, have some sort of um, insight into the process. And um, typically MLB, and you know, or in my case was MLB, but the league and the club sort of meet in the middle um, and say, hey, here's what we found in our investigation. What did you find type of thing? Um, and then the results are ultimately presented to the player and by proxy, the, the players association. Uh, but I found it really interesting that the Blackhawks um, just kind of came right out and said, nope, this was a team incident. Team rules were violated. And um, Corey Perry's player contract was violated as well, which ultimately led to the termination. Um, it didn't seem like the NHL was really too involved in this. Um, from some of the articles that I was reading out there, it seems like the NHL was just basically taking everything that the Blackhawks were telling them at face value I'm um, assuming it was true and just sort of proceeding with uh, whatever the sort of punishment was for lack of a better term that uh, the Blackhawks were going to impose upon Corey Perry. But, um, you know, kind of like you alluded to also, I'm really curious as to um, if the, you know, how the NHLPA decides to get involved here. I'm curious to see if a grievance is filed um, once his contract is officially terminated, I guess to a large extent, it would depend upon whatever the conduct was that he's being accused of. And um, if, in fact, you know, just looking at the four corners of his contract, if he was truly in violation of those terms. OK, so let's uh, let's move on to the hardwood. Um, Shay Gilgis Alexander, otherwise known as SGA. Mike Scott, you have said you have done the deep dive in this one. So uh, why don't you lay this one out for us and then uh, we will join in uh, after your you lay out the field. Yeah, coach. of course. So SGA moved into a home in Toronto with his girlfriend um, recently. I don't have the exact date, uh, but it was a home that was worth somewhere around six million dollars or so. Um, turns out that SGA brought the bought the home from um, a an individual named Aiden and forgive my pronunciation on the last name Platursky, who is a uh, self proclaimed quote crypto king. Um, he you know, inevitably, I guess, like many other people in the crypto space, declared bankruptcy last year. Um, and it turns out that um, Mr. Platursky 
um, I guess, angered some of his clients and others in the crypto community over the past few years. So recently, as SGA was in the home, um, someone, meaning a stranger just off the street, came to the home looking for Aiden. Um, and since that happens, SGA has not returned uh, back to the home. And I guess where the legal side of things comes in is that he's been trying to avoid the transaction because, as it turns out, um, this, this home was sort of notorious for angry people lining up outside of it and trying to get into the home to speak to um, Mr. Platursky. Uh, to try and, I would I would assume, express some of their grievances over his crypto practices. Uh, apparently, it was a very normal occurrence that people came, you know, like I said, that people would come to this home looking for him. Um, so, you know, what does a good lawyer do? So they look to, you know, avoid the transaction. And um, SGA's lawyers filed a lawsuit trying to avoid the sale. Um, and ultimately, the claim was that, uh, quote, the sellers did not disclose that angry visitors were frequently coming by the property looking for a Kutursky. Um, unquote, and that this was enough to, you know, hopefully avoid the sale. Um, SGA's lawyers also stated that um, the defendants, you know, meaning the the realtors in this case, if they knew uh, that there was a history of sort of threatening visits to the property, and I don't exactly know what a threatening visit would be, um, an ongoing risk of the scene was disclosed, then no reasonable person looking at properties of that type, quality and price would purchase it. So SGA's lawyers are essentially, you know, sort of trying to move forward on a um, reasonable person standard saying that, uh, you know, if the the fact that it was disclosed, this notorious crypto king lived there, um, you know, maybe, not maybe, but SGA would not have brought the, you know, bought the home in the first place, which I think might be hard to prove. But Mike, Hale, um, as a first year law student, I'm sure you are learning plenty about the reasonable person standard. So I'll let you weigh in there. Throw me on the spot here. I appreciate it, Mike. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, wow, you're throwing me on the spot here. I'm sorry. You got me, you got me blushing. Okay. Right. My, my K I'll, I'll <laughs> tap me in for a second. I, I, I want to, there's I some, there's some details here that I, I think we should, we should harp on while, well, my K you got a, got you got a, like the Socratic method. You got cold called on. You got to be ready as a one. I was going on the chat. <laughs> no, it's on me. Yeah, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Mike, Mike K, you got you got cold called. You got to be ready. Um, so so really quick, Shea, Shay, uh, you know, he, he plays for OKC. We talked about it. This is a house up in uh, Burlington, Ontario. So it's a six point one million dollar house. I saw the the pictures. It's like an incredible mansion. This guy's there. Uh, I think he's with his. Uh, I think it's his girlfriend. Yeah, it's his girlfriend. Don't don't quote me on that. Yeah. So they move in right several days after they move in. Okay, days later. SGA starts receiving strange visits to his house as multiple threatening looking people approach the house on several occasions. So, um, <laughs> so this guy, Petersky, who I've never heard of, I guess, you know, uh, Mike, Mike Scott, you laid it out. He was called the crypto King. He owes more than 19.5 million to more than 150 investment clients after declaring bankruptcy in 2022. So what happened to this guy, Petersky? He was kidnapped in December of 2022 by his investors and four other men. So, um, yeah, uh, this is pretty bad. This is probably a house that you do not want to live in. So um, here's the real question. And Mike K, you're going back on the spot here. Okay, we're going to test your terminology. Are you ready for this? Yeah. You know what? Now I'm, now I'm ready. This is... <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's a famous case. I'm, I'm going to forget the name of the case. We... Once upon a time, we used to do law madness, and we used to have like all of our favorite favorite like cases in law school. But you know, I, I didn't do it this year. Some people yelled at me, but it is what it is. There's a case that involves a ghost, and you know the house is haunted. It's a property case, and the question is whether if you know a house is haunted, whether you have to disclose it. There are some states that say like 
You only have to disclose thing if they're asked of you. And then there's some things like lead paint you have to disclose no matter what. Um, but like the ghost one's an interesting one. Like if you tour an open house, like you go there one time, you're like, like when we bought our house, we went to the house twice and like, I don't know, let's just say the ghosts weren't, weren't present that day. We just wouldn't have seen the ghost. Fortunately, our house is not haunted, but like, that's the type of deal. So SGA, you know, he's playing in OKC. He's not spending that much time in like Ontario. And I know I gather that's where he's from, but you know, I'm sure angry people weren't coming up to the house every day. Or if there was like an open house. I don't know, there's probably a lot of angry people there that day, right? Um, okay, so Mike K, I'll go to you. Um, let us assume, let us assume that, uh, I don't want to assume for jurisdictional purposes. Do you think that SGA has a case here to avoid the transaction because he wasn't told about this? That's that's my question to you. You can think it through. You can assume facts, not in evidence. I do. I think uh, we were talking offline uh, prior to about whether this could be a nonfeasance, misfeasance. I mean, in my opinion, the fact that they did not share this, this had to have been a known fact, like in my opinion, uh, this had to be a known thing that people are constantly, whether it's neighbors knowing, whether it's the the previous owner, like people know that there's people, angry people coming up to the house and the previous owner was seen as someone in a negative light. So they had a duty, in my opinion, as real estate, uh, company to actually tell, you know, they had an obligation to tell him about that. Um, they failed to do that. So I think he does have a case here, in my opinion. Yeah. The, the curious part is like, you know, when we did the inspection in our house, there's some things that our inspector can find, right? They can find mold or issues with the boiler and stuff like, you know, washing machine, whatever various issues, like you can find those, but I'm not sure how SGA would have found that. I'm not sure how public knowledge it was that this guy Petersky lived there. Um, or that this was really an ongoing incident. So guys kidnapped in December of 2022. Um, doesn't even say allegedly. It says he was kidnapped. Um, and he buys the house is bought in May. So, you know, obviously there was some news about there. But if you're, you know, arguing the other side, you could say you never, <laughs> you never asked. You never asked if strange men come to the door and look really threatening. Um, I don't know if I buy that. I, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I, I this seems like this seems like the, the sellers were well aware of it. Um, I guess we'd also have to kind of look at, you know, that six point one million dollar house. Um, you know, was that was that number suspicious? Was it bought by Petersky for like eight million? And maybe he should have asked some questions why it's only being sold for six point one. That's what I was saying. Like, we don't. I can assume some. Like, if the house sold for ten million a year prior and now is selling for six million, you know, maybe SGA should have been on notice to ask some questions or his broker, whoever's buying it from. Um, but assuming the house, you know, like the market value seemed pretty standard and similar. Um, I'm not sure how SGA would have figured this out. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much more there is to add here, but, uh, I don't know. I, I found this one interesting. Again, this, the, the Instagram, Instagram algorithm kind of knows me well. It just like fed me this thing. And I'm like, I have no, I've never heard of this lawsuit. So this is, uh, you know, it's, I guess it was last week when the news of this came up. Is that all it was? November 17th guys? Yeah. So I'm seeing. Yeah. 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 I have November 15th algorithm. on the, on the New York times. So, well, the algorithm, uh, strikes again. Um, okay. Uh, let us, uh, I think we can move on here. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to give the baton back to Mike Krepchenko, Mike K. Um, another viral video clip. You want to explain to us what's going on with the Cleveland Cavaliers and this mysterious court incident with Drew Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I, I'm surprised that this is the first time that it's that this is even a topic. I mean, 
this isn't the fact that this like floors are the way that they are in the NBA is really not that abnormal. So what ha- what I'm referring to is uh, again on November 22nd, uh, a lot going on in these past couple of uh, weeks. But uh, so the Miami Heat uh, they had um, contacted the NBA to express their concerns because their guard Drew Smith uh, unfortunately had a season-ending knee injury. Um, I believe he tore his ACL uh, or sprained his ACL, excuse me. But um, so he did that by jumping it. Like you said, there was a viral clip of him jumping, uh, just going to block a three pointer and his momentum carried him all the way onto the Cavs bench, where if you're familiar with basketball, obviously coaches and assistant coaches, they all have papers and clipboards on the floor right beneath them. Uh, so he slipped on the piece of paper, uh, basically almost went through the floor, uh, I think is how they described it. Uh, he slipped off the edge um, is what happened. So be, if you're not familiar, if you've never actually been to some of these uh, courts are raised, they're off of the ground. Uh, so this one is raised 10 inches off the ground, which is a little uh, little crazy here, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of courts across the NCAA, uh, NBA, a lot of them are raised, um, not only just because of... Um, other events going on. I mean, whether they have hockey, whether they have uh, concerts, I mean, things like MSG, um, it is the world's most famous arena. They have hockey going on. They have concerts literally, I mean, constantly they have brought, you know, different type of shows, theater. So it's like, so there's so much going on there that that's why they claim that they need to have the raised courts. But uh, like I said, I'm really surprised that this is something this is one of the first times that this is really being looked into. Um, the Cavs coach um, Bickerstaff said he kind of downplayed it, saying that, uh, you know, our guys are comfortable here. We haven't had any incidents. And uh, this is just how the floor is built. Um, you know, it, it opened in what, 94. Um, and they had a in 2019, they had renovation. And even throughout that whole time, there were people complaining about it. But it's it, something like this hadn't happened yet. So now I think that there's pretty much a driving force and there's a reason to look into it now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also um, raises certain issues of you know labor and employment law. I mean, obviously NBA players are subject to a collective bargaining agreement as are the clubs. Um, we've also seen, you know, similar or analogous situations now in the NFL where um, if you follow the sort of poll that was put out by the athletic, um, I think earlier this week, it was stated that players particularly hate playing at MetLife Stadium here in uh, New York or, or New Jersey. Um, and the number of, of incidents and injuries that have occurred on that stadium turf over the last few years have been, um, you know, monumental compared to some of the other stadiums in the country. And um, you would have to imagine that the, you know, NBPA um, in this situation might look to get involved to uh, sort of regulate the terms and conditions of players' employment um, and, you know, maybe try and impose even further sort of rules and regulations and restrictions on uh, NBA clubs when it comes to sort of maintenance of the court and how they change over from, you know, whether it be hockey or, or sort of different sports. Um, it's just hard. It's hard for me to imagine that, you know, sort of this isn't something, you know, kind of like you said, Mike, uh, it's been going on for years and years and years and no one's raised, you know, sort of any sort of concern about it, even though, I did see that um, LeBron came out, I think, earlier this week or last week or whenever this incident occurred and uh, basically said, hey, like, you know, this is something the Cavs need to take care of. Um, it's something that they need to solve. But it wasn't necessarily something, you know, heard, you heard a lot about over the last few years, and um, especially when LeBron was playing most of his games in Cleveland. But I think it does raise some really interesting issues, um, you know, that I think the, the PA and, and ultimately the league are going to have to work out. So I've never heard about this issue in basketball. 
I've heard about it in, in a number of other sports. So Mike, you mentioned football. Um, there's a case, uh, there's a couple of them, like in baseball, there's a, there's a Yankees, a former Yankees outfielder, Dustin Fowler was like chasing a foul ball. I think it was in right field and he slammed into a wall and he had to, you know, I think it was in his debut. He had season ending knee surgery, but it wasn't because like he hit a wall. He hit an exposed electrical box that was at his knee level and it was hidden and it was undetectable and it wasn't padded. So, um, you know, that's a defective condition that exists on the field. I remember, um, you know, I'm a, uh, Mike Scott, you know, this, I'm a San Francisco giants fan. Uh, I have the bobblehead collection to show for it in my office somewhere, but, um, Mac Williamson, who, uh, you know, was an outfielder there, he sued, um, you know, the giants for this defective condition, having those, um, you know, those bullpen mounds in kind of foul territory and he tripped over one, had a concussion and he said his career was never the same afterwards. So you have that. Um, a case that I've taught in my law school class, the Reggie Bush case with the concrete ring of death. Uh, he was playing for, I think the Niners at the time and, uh, the old St. Louis Ram stadium, I think it was the RCA dome. He ran out of bounds and, you know, just like sometimes you're running full speed, running toward the sideline and he got past, you know, the bench area and there was like a concrete ring around the turf area and he slipped, he was wearing cleats, he slipped on the concrete and I think he he busted his tailbone or whatever it was, it was season ending injuries, bad injuries, about to head into free agency. So we've had these defective design or dangerous design cases um, or dangerous condition cases, um, just never in basketball. Um, I don't, because the courts are the same, right? Like there's not really much you could do with it. I don't, I don't recall another basketball injury, but yeah, I mean, it's a pure negligence suit. Um, So yeah, especially, you know, Mike, Mike, you hit on it. If LeBron and they've known about it for years and they didn't do anything like the viral video that was going around is that the Cavs knew about that. There was an issue. There was a hole in the floor and they tried to hide it with a piece of paper. Did you guys see that? You saw the, the, the viral, did. at least. Yep. The, the, yeah. The, so it, it looks like, I don't know if they put the piece of paper there, but it does look like he slips on a piece of paper and then kind of like, you know, goes kind of uh, lowers his, uh, his height level, so to speak. So um, I don't think that's what happened, but that's the headline that, that kind of people ran with. Um, but either way, if LeBron is saying that the team knew about it while he was there, which is not recent, right? that's like four years ago, five years ago, uh, that's not looking good. And then those questions about whether, you know, this could have been reasonably discovered with, you know, acting with ordinary care and, and you know, normal maintenance on the court, you'd think like there are people that's jobs are to clean the court, like that they should probably see this. So uh, yeah, another one where, you know, first instance, obvi- obviously it's the burden of proof on the plaintiff in any type of lawsuit or something like this. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm seeing certainly a case that, uh, could exist there. Some central culpability. Again, we, we've had this before in other cases. So, um, other sports, but it's an interesting one. Guys, anything else to add on this? Mike K, Mike S. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, this becomes a league wide issue. No, same with the turf grass situation. I mean, this, this isn't just a Cavaliers issue. There are, like I said, many courts. The big thing also, like having the benches so cl- there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, you know alternatives uh, that they that they could use here um, that they're just, in my opinion, just not using. Uh, having the benches that close to the court. Um, I mean, having the ten inch drop off right that close to the court uh, to where the I guess boundaries are. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think this is a league. This is going to become a league wide thing, not just a Cavs issue. Um, similar to, like I said, I mean, in the turf versus grass grass debate that we've covered. Um, okay. I think we can, uh, end that one here. Last but not least, uh, 
Mike Scott, you are an alum of the prestigious, undefeated Florida State University, the Florida State Seminoles. Um, it's a lot of words. Florida State University. I don't think they needed the university. It could just be Florida State, right? They could be. But if you look at, I guess, some other ones, Michigan State University. Michigan MSU. State. Yeah, there's some others yeah. out there. There's, there's, how about oh, Arizona State? You're right. Yeah. They, go, they go three. They go Arizona State University. Yes. Got it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So um, I, I'm i going to be, uh, I've never heard of this tradition. And I told you, I'm like, hey, we should cover this Florida State topic. And you're like, what is going on with Florida State? I went there. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of history? Uh, well, can I can I say what happened, and then you fill us in on the history of what this thing is, which I think is very yeah, interesting. Yeah, of course. Okay, so Florida State plays Florida. Florida jumps out to an early lead. Uh, it looks like we're about to get into a college bowl playoff uh, ma- like mania, like chaos. If Florida State loses, there's going to be a, potentially a one-loss team that gets in. Um, so anyway, Florida State comes back. The game is in Gainesville. That's uh, where the Florida Gators play. And after the game's over, you see this weird video circulating, and they're Florida State players with look like scissors or knives, and they're in the end zone, and they're literally trying to cut a hole in the ground. Um, speaking of like defective conditions, right? Like they're trying to cut up the other side's turf, and there's a big circle around them, and there's PR people there. Everyone's looking at them just like massacring the turf for the end zone and then police get involved and the police like stop this whole operation and it looks like the florida state players got like a little bit of sprinkle of grass like not like a a full chunk of the grass like a little bit of sprinkle on top and the pr people like whisk them away the police look kind of pissed off um and i have no idea what was happening so um mike uh why don't you explain what this uh what this is, um, I would think it's damage to property on its face, but I, I guess speaking of like prior knowledge, um, this is something that happens a lot. So Mike, fill us in on this odd FSU tradition. We'll see if it counts as a defense to what seems like blatant damage to property. Yeah, of course. Well, as a Florida State alum, like you said, um, I'm going to be pretty defensive of my team here, but essentially there's a tradition at Florida State that dates back, I believe, to the 1960s, where every time, you know, when Florida State plays an away game that's particularly big or particularly challenging, um, so like in this case, a rivalry game against UF, um, you know, there are games against Clemson or Miami, um, the national championship game, for example, that they won when I was there against Auburn in 2013. Um, at Florida State on their campus, there's something called a Sod Cemetery. And essentially what the team does is for those particularly... You said Sod Cemetery? Yeah. Let's just... Sod Cemetery. Yes, okay. Where okay. For those games that are particularly challenging away games, the players usually cut a piece of the turf or a piece of the grass off of the fields with them. And they bring it back to Florida State's campus where they then subsequently um, bury it in this little cemetery that they have just outside the the football facility um, as a way to sort of commemorate the quote-unquote battle fought um, on another team's turf. Um, And they go ahead and they put a plaque uh, right over sort of where they bury that sod with the final score um, of whatever that that game was just to sort of commemorate the victory and um, sort of remind, you know, players that kind of come after them of all the, you know, hard-fought battles over the years. It's been a, a pretty cool seminal tradition. Um, okay, so I have a news break, guys. We might have just figured out something. Okay, Mike K., if you don't know this answer, you're going to fail your property class. All right. You ready for this? Yeah, I have the finals. I, have I think we have our 
Maybe it's Torts. Uh, uh, I know it is. It is Torts. This is Torts. Wait, when is your Torts final? Uh, December 10th. Oh, my God. So you should know the answer to this question. Oh, okay. This might be the first ever reference on the podcast to a sports trespass to chattels. Oh. Okay? Okay? Uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I was calling it property damage, but I think trespass to chattels technically counts. So it's intent. Uh, it's physical interference with someone else's property, uh, and it's resulting in some type of harm. Um, Mike, does this sound did, does this sound like trespass to chattels? I don't know. I think it fits more on the property side because what, what's your what's your case for like that? This is a this is a good. Oh, you know what? A chattel a chattel has to be a movable object. No, this is not a trespass to chattels. False alarm team. This was not our first reference to trespass to chattels. I was so excited to give a trespass to chattels reference. And I've never said the word chattels outside of uh, <laughs> outside of bar rapper law. But uh, false alarm team. I'm sorry. This is not trespass to chattels. Um, Mike K, give us your analysis on why this is textbook property damage. Uh, and then Mike, Mike Scott, you can try to defend it, but I don't think you're going to be able to hear I haven't gotten in, going well, into any property Well, the damage turf yet. might actually be movable. Is it? like the, the turf might be movable. Maybe it is a chattel. Like, um, Well, it has to be an intentional act, and you have to cause some type of harm, right, to it. So, um, you know, the fact that FSU has a history of doing this, like, I don't know, a judge is not going to care. A judge in Gainesville, where this case would be based, is not going to care that FSU – where's FSU? Where, Tal- where is that in Florida? Tallahassee. Tallahassee. How far is Tallahassee from Gainesville? Three or four hours. That's not very far. Okay, so I'm not, I mean, three, four hours is pretty far. That's like the difference between like New York and like, yeah. you know. Yeah, Florida is such a big state that I far. guess when you think three or four hours, um, you don't think it's that far. What about, would you maybe make the argument that it's a nuisance claim? I hate something. It, and the FSU sod cemetery defense is not going to pass <laughs> muster. Um, it is not. I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if the Gators have any other type of tradition where they don't want to open, open up Pandora's box, um, especially with Florida State winning so much recently. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I thought this was an interesting one. And basically the, the police kind of let them go away. Um, I mean, was that the last game of the year for Florida? Is that, yeah. is that I think that was the last yeah, one, right? Yeah, it was the last game of that. Well, that's, yeah. if there was some real damage caused to the turf and Florida had to play on short, you know, in a short week or, you know, maybe that's a, a bigger concern, but Florida's not using that turf for uh, college football games because I think their season's over. Are they bowl eligible? Mike's got you nope, would know this. they are not bowl eligible. Oh, that sucks. I like when Florida's good. I do. I, I like I like Florida. Uh, I like Florida State, too. Um, no shame. We brought up Jameis Winston on on this podcast before. He comes up in my law school <laughs> I'm final. Sure uh, shout out to Jameis. Shout out to Jameis. Um, we're not going to talk about it here, um, but I'll, I'll buy you guys some time. Uh, this is kind of like the week of college football coaching buyouts. So there's, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll cover it, I'm sure, at some point with uh, Taryn and, and uh, Mike Lawson. But... There's like hundreds of millions of dollars just being paid to coaches to like sit on the, you know, sit on the sideline. I was going to say it on the sidelines, sit at home on their couch. Um, it's an interesting clause. Some of these coaches have what we call an offset provision, whereby if they get a new job, this buyout money gets to decrease by whatever they're getting paid from their other job. But um, not all coaches have this offset provision. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll spare, spare us from full analysis, but uh you know, we're, we're due for another big college sports episode. This was kind of our smorgasburg episode, giving you a lot of topics across the full landscape. Okay, reminder, podcast sponsored by Themis Bar Review. They might they might be sponsoring our bar event on 1219 in New York City. Uh, flyer, 
TBD. Mike K, you're on the flyer. Oh, I'm I'm there. That's it's you know I'm Mr. Reliable. No, <laughs> you are Mr. Reliable. You are Mr. Reliable. So Bemis sponsor the podcast, potentially sponsoring the bar event. We'll see if we can get them on short notice. Um, but that takes us to our final segment of the show. That is the Better Edge Best Bet of the Week. Um, Mike K, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit third here. I'm gonna hit third. Um, Mike K, you are um, riding a little bit cold, but I ride with you, Mike. I always I always bet your bets. I I, I want to have skin in the game, so I can't. You know, I, we can either celebrate the wins or I can get mad at you for the losses. Um, Mike K, you're gonna go first. Uh, the world of the NFL. Where does it take you? Uh, or college sports, whichever one you want for your best bet of the week. Yeah, I'm sorry that you've uh, backed any of my bets so far, but this is, you know, like I said, I, I, I you just got to keep going, just like baseball, you know. Like I use that analogy, uh, you know, you just keep swimming, keep, just keep, keep swimming. <laughs> um, but th- this week I have an interesting one. Just in, you know, people may not think that this is a, you know, a bold one, but I, I do. The Chiefs have been getting disrespected, in my opinion. Um, they're six point favorites in Lambeau uh, Sunday night. And I, I just want to rattle off some stats for Mahomes. Uh, just people seem to forget who, who Patrick Mahomes is. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, he's in a different stratosphere. You're going to be ranking quarterbacks. He's in his own world. And then you could start ranking the rest. But over the last 22 primetime games, the Chiefs are 18 and four. And Patrick Mahomes has thrown for six over 6,500 yards, 50 touchdowns Whoa. to 15 interceptions. Well, you did some research here, Mike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, okay. you know, I got to start doing better here. You know, I got to be ready to respond. I got to do better. So um, here we are the Chiefs, minus six in Lambeau. Very confident uh, people, you know, are forgetting who they are. I, I have a feeling that. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and maybe Taylor Swift are going to be, uh, you know, shining bright on uh, Sunday night this week. Mahomes, Ma'auto. I do like those commercials. <laughs> I do like those commercials. Um, okay, so Chiefs minus six is the pick. Uh, Mike Scott, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to try and go 1-0 here. Okay. Um, I'm going to take the Indianapolis Colts, who are not oh. favored against the Tennessee Titans. It's Colts plus two and a half. Colts have won their last two games against both the Panthers and Patriots. Not such great teams. Uh, Titans are coming off a loss. Um, Colts, I saw a graphic today with Gardner Minshew, uh, basically saying that the Colts are sort of on the outside looking in of the playoffs, but very much in the hunt, and they own a handful of tiebreakers. Um, I believe they're at the number seven spot in the AFC. Um, so I'm going to have faith in Gardner Minshew and the Colts. I'm going to take them plus two and a half over, over the Titans. Um, okay. I like that pick. I have an odd pick for you guys. I heard a crazy stat um, heading into the games uh, this past week, and it, and it hit. Okay. This is going to sound wild, but it is true. Monday night football. Okay, uh, this is just the pick for this week. I'll tell you what the game is, but I'm, I'm less concerned with who's playing. It's the Bengals and the Jags. Uh, Jags are favored by eight. I am not picking either team in this situation. The over-under is 37 and a half. I don't know what is going on on Mondays, but there is a streak that is going on that is, I've never seen it before. The under on Monday Night Football this year is 13 and one, including 10 and 0 in the last 10 weeks, wow. including this past Monday. Um I don't know what is going on on Mondays, but 13 and one, if you just blindly bet it, 
you would have a lot of money. Um, I can't quite understand it, but uh, that's where we're at. Either twelve and one or thirteen and one. What week are we in, guys? It's a great question. Actually, we're in week twelve, right? Week thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, definitely. No, it's week thirteen. Yeah. The, so I, I I misspoke. It is twelve and one. The under is twelve and one. Um, so I'm gonna go. We're gonna we're gonna continue to roll with the trend. Blindly bet. That's my pick for this week. Normally, I'm pretty good with teams. Last week, a little shout out to myself. I won Michigan State. I'm sorry, Michigan uh, minus three. Um, so this week, uh, we are going to pick for the first time ever an under under uh, for the Monday night football game. Under 37 and a half is the total right now. Um, okay, um, so I think that'll do it here. Reminder: uh, twelve nineteen is the New York City bar event. Um, we had some people fly up for our last bar event for conduct. Don't do that. You don't need to fly up. We're going to be doing more of these events. Uh, right, Mike? Right, Mike, Scott? Yeah, I think so. I think me and you have um, we've had some interesting conversations with some interesting people the last few weeks. Uh, I think there's going to be some fun stuff coming down uh, down the pipeline early next year, too. Yeah, so uh, you can fly up for one of these, but we're going to be doing more of these. Last We've only really done two in the last two years through conduct, so we're going to start pooling our conduct and uh, our general sports law resources together and doing some more events. Um yeah, all, all for a good cause. Um, so I think that'll do it uh, for us here. If you want to contact uh, Mike Scott, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. You know where to find uh, myself and Mike Krevchenko. Um, but that'll do it for here, us uh, for us all here at Conduct Detrimental. For myself, Dan Wallach, uh, and all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, we will see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Conduct Detrimental.